Hello and welcome to the Refreshing Change podcast. My name is Nicola Scott and I will be your host. In this week's episode, I'm so excited to be joined by swimmer Hannah Miley. Hannah is a double Commonwealth champion, European and world medalist and triple Olympic swimmer. Her career in the pool spanned 17 years before she announced her retirement from professional swimming at the end of 2021 and she's currently navigating the transition into the next chapter of her life. During her career, she won six golds, 14 silvers and 16 bronze medals across World and European Championships, Commonwealth Games, World Cup, European Junior and Commonwealth Youth Events. In this episode, we dive into the successes, challenges and lessons learned, how to support your well-being on, along your journey and how to chase your dreams and embrace transitions. Hello, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining me on the Refreshing Change podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm so glad you agreed to come on. Um, Hannah, you and I, I suppose for the benefit of the listeners, we've known each other for a while and I've watched your swimming career in admiration for what you've done. But we knew each other from, I suppose, the uni days, about 10, 12 years ago. I don't like to count how many it was. but yeah, and I've, and I've watched your journey and I'm so glad you agreed to come on because I think you'll share a really um, fascinating take on change and how it's played a role in your life. But before we dive into that, are you happy to give the listeners just a bit of a kind of background and summary? If, if people have been living under a rock and don't know who Hannah Miley is, then can you share who you are and what, you, what you've been all about? Yes. Um, so I have no relation to Hannah Montana Miley Cyrus. I'm just going <laughs> out with the amount of times when I've done competitions, people got confused with my name. Uh, and it was normally Americans that did that, so it was uh, it was always quite a funny talk. If you're hearing squeaks in the background, that is my two dogs, Poppy and Milo. Milo the puppy is a little bit needy at the minute, um, so she'll just add some extra sound effects. But um, um, I am a triple Olympic swimmer. I splashed around for a living. Uh, my career internationally spanned over 17 years, and I've actually recently retired, so I guess I class myself as a, a swammer now instead of a swimmer. <laughs> The 1st of December 2021 was when I decided to hang up my goggles. And yeah, it's been an interesting journey since uh, transitioning away from sport and into my next chapter in my career. Yeah, I love that. How do you feel about change? Because you've obviously, a little bit. we all go through change, a lot of change, and you've just highlighted a really big one, which I know we'll touch on throughout the, throughout the podcast. But how do you feel about change? How significant is it in your life, Anna? um it's quite significant initially I kind of thought yeah I'm good with change but actually when I thought about it as an athlete um it is quite <laughs> sorry Miley Miley's kind of putting her two cents with excuse me missus <laughs> thank you um it's it's quite terrifying because change means there's, too, there's a lot of variation and variables mm-hmm. so ideally you didn't want change you want to keep things as you are doing them and you know roll with it as you go but the minimal amount of change and disruption the easier it was to kind of almost stay in control of what you were doing so for me this whole process of leaving swimming and going into a world where swimming is no longer a priority I'm not saying I've left swimming I still do go and swim but it just means my role and my priorities have changed it's been quite significant it's almost like going through a grieving process Mm. um there's a lot of emotions that i've been experiencing some good some that i'm still processing and dealing with just now but um i never really appreciated actually how big of a deal it is and somebody once said to me is actually we go through a lot of transitions within our lifetime but we don't realize it 
for me, this felt like such a big change because it's been 17 years plus in the making and my whole identity and purpose and passion has been built around this sport. So to walk away and for it to not be the same, whilst I knew I was ready to move on to something a bit different, it was still quite terrifying and nerve wracking because for the first time, I guess, in 17 years, I didn't know what the year was going to look like. My whole life had always been on a spreadsheet where the competitions were, where the priority key meets were. And um, yeah, there was a lot of uh, new kind of sort of a bit of reality check for me as well <laughs> um, and growing up and being a bit more of you know hopefully a contributing um, member of society too so um yeah it, it, it's been it's been interesting an interesting journey one that I was a little bit scared of to start with but I'm, I'm getting on with it and dealing with it yeah amazing thanks for sharing that and I think like contributing to society you definitely have done that over the 17 years swimming because you will have in <laughs> Uh, inspired so many young boys and girls to swim and just I suppose even for adults just be active and, and, and go and enjoy something so thank you for sharing that we'll definitely touch on the transition because I think it's fascinating both your own journey but just that of athletes and that that when we or even as individuals we all go through a sort of transition like you mentioned but if we were to rewind <laughs> take me back to when you were a young girl Hannah what I'm going to name this podcast like chasing your dreams because I just think um I think any athlete has to have a real drive and passion to go and follow their dreams and I'm fascinated as to was it always swimming you wanted to do was it was it a drive to be in the Olympics what was the what was the dream when you were a young girl um I had quite a fair few dreams to be honest I didn't really have like one set goal like the Olympics was what I was going to do that kind of evolved and came about as I started getting better and started enjoying my sport a little bit more but I think to understand where I guess my chase in the dream came from you kind of need to know a little bit about my personality type and I'm very competitive but I'm also very very literal um an example for my sort of literalness and gullibleness um my I think I was like four years old and my parents had people over uh for you know kind of like coming over for afternoon lunch and low sitting coffee table you've got biscuits you've got cups of tea cups of coffee drinks and all that and anybody who owns a cat will know that if a cat has a really bushy tail they just have this habit of you know whether it's wiping their body their tail they just like to be able to just mark their tail or some part of their fluff all over food drinks you know especially if you don't want them near your food or drink they will be there so we had a cat called Bruce he was a farm cat he was you know a really fluffy moggy and um he was just you know dipping his tail in everybody's coffees and biscuits which wasn't really that you know appropriate so he was getting in the way and getting underfoot and then my dad was getting frustrated with him he said oh Hannah could you kick the cat out so little me goes over and I pick up you're laughing already because you know what's happening I know what's coming <laughs> Um, I, I pick up, you know, Bruce and Bruce was quite a big cat, um, goes over, I go over to the door, open up the back door and my right foot swings back, makes contact with Bruce and bless him, he flew out the back door. Um, and I got into so much trouble and through years it was, but you said to kick the cat out. Um, and I think after that, my dad realized that you have to be very careful with what he says. What to you me. see, yeah. I will take it quite literally. So growing up, you know, I was very driven um, mm. and I can't explain it. And I think it does come from that sort of being a maybe a little bit literal with what I do. 
Um, and I was super competitive. Um, even, you know, come down to school where you do, you know, read a book and write, you know, a book report on it. And it was, you know, how many can you do? Right. I've got to read and do as many book reports as I can. I have to do more than everybody else. So, you know, it became about the, the quantity of it rather than maybe the quality of what I was reading and writing. Um, so, it, you know, there was always that sort of inbuilt competitiveness. I also had two younger brothers, too. So that as well, sibling rivalry, you know, if you left any food, it was gone. So you had to eat your food if you wanted to make sure that you got a good meal. Otherwise, the food would be taken. So, you know, it was... Um, I was always quite active and quite competitive in anything and everything that I did. It wasn't just in sport, but I found with swimming, my dad taught me to swim when I was very young and it was more from a safety point of view. He, you know, he taught both myself and my two younger brothers because it's so important to be safe when you're around water. We are on an island, you go away on holiday, you go water parks, you got rivers, you got locks. Like we are, we have so much water around us. So it's so important to be safe and, you know, confident and competent around that, um, uh, element but um yeah I kind of just found I was quite creative in my own head and going in the water I would always dream of being like a mermaid or I was flying or I was a fish or you know all those kind of typical things and I loved just being in the water there's something about the stillness and the quiet that the water had over my head you know once I dove under and tried to like move my body through it and I just felt at home like for me it just felt like this is the environment I wanted to be in did other sports and activities which I really enjoyed but I just found that swimming just felt more like me it hit the values that I had of being competitive being quietly driven um you know I got to live in my own head which was awesome and yeah I just love the fact as well I also wasn't afraid to be different. You know, I ever, if everybody was going through the new trends and, you know, going right and following the crowd, I always purposely made myself go left. Don't quite know where that stilled from, but I always made sure that I was quite happy and proud being that little bit different. And swimming actually gave me that difference because none of my other teammates were classmates, sorry, were getting up at ridiculous hours in the morning to go swim. They weren't turning up to school with wet hair. They had long hair, straightened makeup on and, I had cat lines, goggle marks and stunk of chlorine. And for some reason, for me, I felt comfortable in that identity mm. because it kept me different because I, I had to, I guess I had a bit of a mature mindset in that I wanted people to see me for who I was. I thought, you know, and if I was to go on a disco night out or whatever and do my hair and makeup, I could look different and people would take notice whereas if I did that all the time I felt I wouldn't get noticed mm. so you know and looking back at it I'm still kind of working and figuring out where all that driving competitiveness came from so you know talking like this has been really beneficial but um I watched the Olympics when I was 10 it was the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games and there was a swimmer called Misty Hyman and for me I kind of fell in love with her personality and she became a huge role model for me and you know, if you want to go into YouTube, her race is up there. The 200 meters butterfly caused one of the biggest upsets at the Olympic Games. But it wasn't the fact that she won a gold medal. It was her whole personality type. When they were announcing lane one to eight, each of the um, athletes, you know, they all had their goggles on, look focused, look really like verging on, you know, either being terrified or in the zone. It was quite yeah. an interesting uh, sort of look that they had about them. But Misty, she had her goggles up arms were outstretched and waving to the crowd like both sides and she just looked like she was having so much fun and was just enjoying herself and I thought you know what if you've worked so hard that all you've got left to do is to enjoy that moment I thought 
that's pretty cool and pretty special. And when she did cause that upset and end up with the gold medal, apologies, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> it, just her reaction as well was just so genuine. And I really appreciated actually who she was as a person, not the achievement that she did, but just her whole outlook. I mean, I didn't know Misty. I was only 10 and there was no Facebook. There was no, you know, kind of all the social media stuff. So I couldn't stalk her or follow her. But I got that instant connection and impression that she had done absolutely everything possible, that all she had left to do was just enjoy the moment and just race the best swim she could. And she did. Um, so she always stuck out for me as my as a role model because she just, you know, she never went about trying to push down people's throats that she was this amazing Olympic swimmer. She did some unbelievable underwater work. And, you know, she kind of changed up the way that swimmers swam and the underwater phase, like the dolphin kicks underwater. She kind of pioneered a lot of um, technical ability around that going on your side rather than being like tummy down. It was, you know, really, really clever. Um, so I could relate a lot to that. And um, and yeah, and I just find it really fascinating. So as I started getting a little bit older and, you know, enjoying the competitiveness of competing in swimming, you know, it, it, it was every time I competed, I was like, right, what's the next one, the next level up? Mm -hmm. And I did get to a point when I was about maybe between the age of 15, 16, that I thought, you know what, I could do this. You know, I could, I could go see Olympic Games. And it was actually a bit of failure that kind of inspired and instilled um, my sort of Olympic dream and desire. In 2006, I was competing at the European Championships and it was my one opportunity to try and qualify for the World Championships. As a junior, you know, I was really trying to push myself up there amongst the senior swimmers and prove that, you know, this little sticky girl from northeast of Scotland was just as hardy and could swim just as fast as some of these, you know, top level European swimmers. And in, I remember the qualifying time was something like four minutes 45 for the 400 IM. And in the heats, I'd gone four minutes, 46. And I was a little bit cocky. And I thought, oh, I've got this in the bag. Always go faster in the finals. It's fine. And I went four minutes, 47. And that was a big reality check. So I thought, that's it. I'm not going to world championships. And I missed out. I think it was something like six or seven international competitions because of that one swim. Um, the British Championships the following year ran at the same time as the World Championships and the time I did at British would have won me a silver medal at that World Championships. That silver medal would have then pre-selected me for the Olympic Games, which then would have put me on the European Championship team. Like there were so many things that I kind of just completely missed because of this one swim. So I kind of vowed to myself that I was never going to let that happen again. And it was going to be a kick up the butt. And, you know, I really wanted to work hard. So I had two years where I didn't really get to race any international competition. And my next chance was trying to qualify for the Olympic Games in 2008. So it was that moment in 2006, really, that kind of instilled that drive and desire. I'd written down in logbooks, you know, I want to be on the Olympic podium, win, you know, win a gold medal. But I kind of felt that that was what you were supposed to write. I felt that, you know, if you're going to be a good swimmer, you have to write this down because you can't be a good swimmer. But I didn't truly believe it, I think, until I was 16. Um, so yeah, very long-winded answer to your question, but hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love, I, first of all, thank you for sharing. I love hearing people's stories and journeys, but I think you've highlighted so many things there, Hannah, which, which I speak to clients about all the time, about understanding yourself. Like, it's not about success doesn't happen overnight. You know, like, 
but the enjoyment and I, I think that's a really um pertinent one like it's not just all about the the end goal and the destination we're trying to get to it's the enjoyment and I love that you said that you know if you've worked so hard that all you've got left to enjoy it like I just love that um you've you've already started to allude to like some of the I suppose the challenges or the successes that you've had throughout your career um I just I suppose I just want to dive into it a bit more like you you became known I suppose through the kind of commentary when you were swimming at the at the, at the peak and you were at the games as like smiley miley which knowing you from uni days and um seeing your story unfold is so bang on because you're the nicest smiliest person um but like you've alluded to already it's it's tough behind the scenes and I I loved it when you said about Misty that it was your fascination and curiosity and her as an individual, not just how she swam, which I think as spectators to sport, like we, it's really easy for us just to see the final end result, you know, watch the games and watch someone swim for four minutes, 45, you know, that's nothing, but you've trained years and years and years to make that happen. So is there any other kind of highlights, like ch memorable challenges or successes that, that, that really stand out to you, Hannah, in your, in your career? Where to begin? There's a wow. lot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I always kind of had that premise of, I wanted to be quite friendly and approachable as a person um, because I always want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, you know, never judge someone first off because you never know what situation that they're in. And I always try and view it from two sides. So if it's someone that I don't get on with, that's fair enough. But I'm always aware that, you know, <sighs> There's people that probably find me annoying as well. Um, you know, you're not always likable to people. There's always going to be two sides and your perception of, uh, of people are going to be different. So for me in swimming, it was kind of the same thing. Out with the pool, you know, I was quite smiley, happy-go-lucky. But in the water, you know, that, I was I was mean as hell. Like, <laughs> I was very driven and determined to get what I needed out from, you know, my training sessions. Because I driv I kind of had, like, a really good mental mindset of, in some sense, it's good, but in another sense, I am aware that it probably was verging on maybe not being quite so healthy, but comparing myself to my other competitors. Mm -hmm. So what drove me, because a lot of my training was actually done on my own. My dad was my coach and I had to go in, like going to RGU, the Robert Gordon's University pool and doing a training session on my own. Sometimes my dad, who was my coach, he's a full-time helicopter pilot, so he'd be away flying. I'd have the script, I'd have to get in and get on with the session. Now I could have very easily just decided, oh, I'm just gonna sack this off and just sit in the shower for a bit. <laughs> and that would have been fine. But my mindset was such that I would be like, well, what would my rival be doing? What was Katinka Hosu, Amy Wilmot, Maria Belmonte? You know, if I go to the next competition where I'm head to head, they're gonna have one up on me because I'll have missed that session and they wouldn't have missed that session. Mm. So I was always kind of talking to myself in that sense. It was good. And I think it did help, but I think towards possibly the end of my career, it got quite tricky because you could almost be too hard on yourself. And it was like a really fine sort of tightrope balance of being able to kind of be committed, but making sure you didn't push it to the point where it just be just too much. Some of the other challenges as well was because I was quite a literal person, uh, the concept of being ill and injured, missing training because of that mindset of I cannot miss anything. Uh, made it very difficult sometimes for me to comprehend that actually taking a day off for rest was good. <laughs> for me, I always felt I needed to do more. I needed to do more than anybody else. I had to better, bigger, strong. Well, I wasn't necessarily the biggest or the strongest, but 
for me I thought well if I did more you know 100 meters more than that person I'm better you know and, and it was always trying to add more and more and more um but that would come at a cost and sometimes I would get ill as you do as a teenager and as you do going through uni um and I had little niggles that would you know kind of give me some jip but I was lucky enough I didn't have any serious serious injuries I guess until the later on in my careers a couple of injuries that I had that were slightly self-inflicted um like I cracked my sternum by dropping uh, a weight on my chest um and <laughs> it wasn't so yeah I was trying to do a clean but forgot that the clips on either side of the barbell were two and a half kilos each as well so the weight was five kilos heavier than what I anticipated realized during mid lift and thought I'll try and catch it but caught it far too low and um like smash basically my chest into the bar and crack the side of the sternum um doctors were like we've seen this injury in rugby players not in a, don't know how to help you with this so my mindset was well if it doesn't hurt continue with what I was doing if it does hurt avoid it so that's kind of my mindset so certain strokes hurt so I avoided those and certain swimming strokes didn't and I continued with that um so I was always a sort of thinking of try and be out the box try and think mm -hmm. of a way around it so if your current direction isn't going according to plan there's a way around it um I had um you know quite a few as I say little injuries um but there was one that was kind of quite prevalent for me and it was coming to the time where I think my mindset was really struggling a little bit with that competitive side of swimming and I pushed myself um actually I'll explain a little bit more with it. Um, it, it came after 2016. Uh, and for me, that was kind of a big year uh, going into Rio and then off the back of Rio, actually having to deal and cope and process with what had happened. And I didn't look after myself both physically and mentally. And because of that, I think I ended up overcooking it and ended up with uh, a damaged ankle. I had to have surgery done the following year. Um, and then I think my body was subtly trying to tell me to like take a break or just ease off. And because I'm very stubborn and strong minded, I was kind of not listening to my body. But um, in 2016, uh, you know, I'll kind of take you through the whole story when um, I'm in the Olympic final for the 400 IM. Uh, I'm 26, just about to turn 27. So in swimming terms, I am ancient. Um, I'm quite old for a swimmer. So to be in the Olympic final, my third final in my career, I was like, you know, this is kind of a big deal, but this is great. You know, this is what I've been training to do. This is what I'm going to try and go. This is my last shot, really, at trying to make an Olympic medal, being on the podium. And you've got seven other of the world's best 400 individual medley swimmers in there. You've got the previous Olympic champion, Yeshi Wen. And she sat on her seat and her body language is very closed off. They're like making herself quite small, elbows tucked in, knees together, looking at the floor. And she she doesn't look like she wants to be there. But, um, you know, it's, it's a quite a big thing. And they can be quite nervous sitting in the call room. Um, but she, you know, 2012 came out of nowhere and just, you know, she she is the reigning Olympic champion. But the amount of pressure and the weight of the world on her shoulders going into a final, knowing that, you know, the expectation for her to try and win again and defend her title was huge. Um, so I didn't envy the position that she was in. There was also a Hungarian girl called Katinka Hossu who had redefined her whole image and her whole outlook after 2012 because she came forth there and became the Iron Lady. She physically had changed so much more stronger strength, muscle, power, and she'd become quite a formidable force within the swimming world and very versatile across all strokes and disciplines. So 
you know she was she was after winning that gold like she was very driven and focused and she was sat there pretty confident hood was up headphones were on and you didn't want to make eye contact with her because if you did you felt like you were going to die it was just such an intense stare so you just avoided eye contact with her and then there was a spanish girl maria belmonte who um she's incredibly flexible like she can do the splits against the wall which in a swimming call room, it can be a little bit strange doing that. But also if you're sat next to her, she can bring her leg up to her face. Now, if you're a gymnast, that's fine. But as a swimmer, you're sat there looking at forwards going, her leg is by her face. Don't look at it. This is very odd. This is very strange. And yeah, and whether it's a tactic that she had to try and maybe um, put you off your game, I'm not mm. sure. But uh, And she's also a really good endurance athlete too. So her finishing speed, she's won Olympic medals in 200 butterfly and 800 freestyle, you know, two of the top, like hardest events there. Um, So she's, you know, a formidable force as well. Then you've got um, two American girls and no disrespect to the Americans, but you can hear them before you see them. And they're having a great time together. Elizabeth Beisel and Maya Dorado. And, you know, they've got each other's company. They're bigging each other up. You know, they've got that support and it's great. Really quite inspiring actually hearing them and seeing them, um, you know, just work together. They're, they're not in it on their own. And also fellow teammate, Amy Wilmot as well, headphones in looking very serious and, you know, ready to race. Then a guy comes forward and says, women's 400 iron final, please step this way. And we line up and we get paraded out. So you start off with lane eight, lane one, lane seven, lane two. So you're going from the outside lanes and the last person to come out is lane four in the middle. And the first thing that hits me when you walk out is the 10 lane, 50 meter pool and how clear and blue the water is. Mm. The, the crowd that's all the way around is dark. You don't really pay any attention. It's just your lane, your spot, and that's all you see. And I always have a pre-race routine. It's a little bit of superstition and possibly our way of dealing with nerves because it gives you that sense of control of what you're doing. So I rub my hands on my block, rub my feet on my starting block. Um, the roughness creates a little bit of tingling on my hands and feet. So I feel I get better grip. Um, and then I crack my neck only to the left because I found over the years of competing that cracking my neck to the right, A, it doesn't crack and B, I never swam well. So I thought, well, it doesn't, doesn't matter about all the years of training. It's about cracking my neck. That's what's going to <laughs> um, And then the whistle blows three times and we stand up on the block and then it just goes deathly silent. And then you hear, take your marks. Buzzer goes and you dive in. 350 meters of the 400 meter race. I have no recollection of what happened. It, it just happened. But the last 50 meters, I remember very, very clearly. A my arms and legs are burning and my lungs are burning and I yokes four and a half minutes worth of work and you're wanting to get to the wall and have it finish as quickly as possible um I'm aware of Katinka out in front the Hungarian girl like I feel like okay she's going to be winning gold medal swimmer in the outside lane which I found out was Maya Dorado the American girl was out in silver and I was like who's out in third but to be honest when you're swimming you're not really meant to just stop and look around you know mm, you've got yeah. to learn what you're doing and they I'm like just bring that wall closer my arms are falling off come on and with 25 meters to go so about maybe 15 seconds left um the Spanish girl is within my eyesight and I've realized that I'm going to be in this tight head-to-head battle with her right until the end 15 meters to go I make the silly decision but also probably the appropriate one to not breathe to basically doing freestyle keep my head down to be more hydrodynamic take that big breath in and just hold my breath until I get to the wall and just fight up until the end 
Um, and as soon as I reached and touched the wall, you know, I take a big gulp of air in, contemplate what's just happened, and I turn and look at the scoreboard. And the first thing I see next to my name is my time. And the time I'd done is not the personal best time that I've ever done, but the fastest time I'd ever produced at an Olympic Games. Okay. And it wasn't far away from my best time as well. And considering in Tokyo, we were having to race between 11 o'clock in the morning, sorry, 11 o'clock at night and one o'clock in the morning to fit in with the American filming of the Olympics because they won the TV rights for that. Um, I felt really proud of myself. You know, as I was like, I've never gone that time at, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Like this felt amazing. And I was so chuffed and proud of myself. Um, and to progress from, you know, Beijing and London, it's better, you know, it's the best Olympics I'd ever had. And then the scoreboard reshuffled. And that was when I saw the number four next to my name. And I realized that I just missed an Olympic medal and I'd come fourth. And not only was I fourth, I was fourth by 15 hundredths of a second. Okay. So if you want to sit and start and stop a stopwatch and try and stop it at 15 hundredths, you know, it's quite, quite tricky and there's not that much time. Um, so I'd gone from being super happy and elated with my time to now being crushed and devastated. And I really, really struggled with coming to terms with that because I thought I'm renowned for being smiley miley, but at this moment in time, I am anything but I want to cry. I want to scream. Is this good enough? I don't, I was left feeling very confused with how I feel about my reaction was, um, but then it just was hitting and I and so many people were felt sorry for me which I I really didn't like because I didn't want people to feel sorry for me um but I I felt that you know I needed this Olympic medal to justify myself as being a great athlete I felt that I needed to be on that podium to prove that you know I I am a good athlete um uh, so off the back of the Olympics I decided not to take a break I went and continued swimming. I then did World Cup championships off the back of that and came fourth eight times. <laughs> so my nose was well and truly been rubbed in with you have to do with fourth place. But because I didn't take a break, I just jumped straight back into swimming and tried to do more. I My body was then telling me stop. So I ended up with an ankle injury. And then a couple of years later, I found that I actually had torn my subscapularis pretty much in half. And that had been basically splitting in half over a series of maybe like four or five years. Mm. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest hurdles I actually had to overcome with was that fourth place finish because, you know, 15 hundredths of a second was the definition of going onto that plane to fly home and turning left and being celebrated in amongst, you know, all the medal winners and first class business class to then turning right and being next to the toilets. Now, a lot of people will think, well, yeah <laughs> you know those medal winners should be celebrated and yeah I'm not saying that they shouldn't but just at that moment in time I just it was how much you realized that you lost you know you felt like the fame the glory the you know the ease it will be being this medal winner and coming to terms with that was really really tough because I kind of felt well if I don't have this medal I'm therefore a nobody mm -hmm. um and it did it took me about eight how many years eight years how long since it's been since Rio? Yeah, probably up until now to realize that success is more than just the medals. Um, success is more than just standing on that podium. Yes, they are amazing and wonderful things to achieve, but there's so much to success than actually having that materialistic item to showcase for it. Um, and 
you know, there's there's so much other parts and components to it. And I'm really proud of that fourth place finish because it really was possibly the biggest life lesson I'd ever learned. Kept me grounded as an individual, as tough and as brutal as it was coming to terms with all of it. Um, it was a bit like the 2006, a kick up the backside and a bit of a reality check that, you know what, sometimes things don't go according to plan. And there was nothing more I could have done. Um, just three other girls were better than me on that day. And I had no control over that. Um, so that's kind of some of the tougher things I've had to deal with, I guess, in swimming is valuing yourself. Um, we get given funding through our governing body and you're basically kept and, you know, allowed to have this funding to support yourself as long as you're providing the results and the results were progress in time, progress in having medals. And if you didn't achieve those, then you were dropped and it, it, it's brutal. It is very, very brutal because you can be, you know, ranked number one in the world one year and then not be in the top five. And all of a sudden they don't want anything to do with you. And so you weren't allowed to have like an off year. Um, so yeah, those little bits are really, really tough and challenging because it's not just managing your own expectations. You feel like you're managing expectations of your national governing body and also the expectations of a nation too. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's not always, you know, things like that, you know, for my fourth place in Rio. Um, for me, the memory I have of 2014 in Glasgow was kind of almost the exact opposite. Um, and, you know, coming away with a medal from that was you know, probably one of my greatest successes. And those two stories, both Glasgow and Rio, are kind of like the two that I always like to tell because they're very different. One ended up with a medal, one didn't, but I don't value one over the other. Like they are both very, very similar and both taught me an awful lot. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I don't know whether I've actually fully answered your question. I've just gone off on a tangent again. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Hannah. Oh, um, there's so much in that that uh, we, we won't have time on just this episode of the podcast because there's so many different topics that you that you could dive into, excuse the pun, um, but you, you could just start exploring it in more detail. But I love some of the stuff you said. There's a real fine balance, isn't there, between self-discipline and, and pushing your body to the limit or things like listening to, uh, no, sorry, discipline and being hard on yourself, like that balance or listening to your body, but pushing it to its absolute max to perform. So it's so nuanced, all, you know, the balance and, and all that stuff. I just find it so fat. The psychology behind it is just so fascinating. Um, it verges on obsession as well. Mm. And trying to get that balance of the obsession. Yes, everything in your priority is about your sport. You know, when I met you and uh, my now husband in 2012, which you introduced me to, <laughs> I couldn't have done it without you. Um, you know we went through many many years where we didn't see each other because I had to prioritize swimming and yeah. to be honest I didn't know if our relationship would stand because of that commitment I made to swimming like I was more committed to swimming than I was to him but we were patient and we worked it out and you know 10 years on um you know we're still together we're four weeks married now and we're still together so it's obviously going all right but um it is it is very much like that obsession of balancing discipline with you know that commitment but it can overspill to you know being quite detrimental and it is such a fine balance when you go into elite sport with it and you know you can kind of see it not just in elite sport you can see it in business you know people that are driven and passionate about trying to achieve what they're needing to achieve in the corporate world but again you know trying to find that balance with that obsession but also listening to your body and allowing yourself breaks allowing yourself to actually have time to take yourself away every now and then because you can be more refreshed and you're not just 
digging yourself a hole um that just yeah. you know doesn't become worth anything so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love that you said about the those two experiences about Rio and about Glasgow and the outcome being very different but but you taking both experiences and learning from them because I do think we learn a lot from our what I'm going to use the word failure although I'm not saying it that you know to, to yeah. market our failures and successes you know we almost learn more about ourselves and our, and our journey when things don't maybe work out the way that we want them to than we do from our success but it also I think it really um, encourages me and I wish it like I really hope it resonates with listeners as well that to think of times in their own life where they've gone after something but put everything on a pedestal that they're chasing that one thing and then maybe the disappointment and how they've how they've how they've dealt with that or overcome it or how do they re-navigate or reset the goal or find joy in the journey you know it's life's so complex when we look at it that way but I do think there's so much value in like in just you highlighting those those two vastly different experiences and different outcomes but you know you're uh, the, the practicality is you're diving into the pool and swimming the same the same <laughs> race you know but the outcomes just and then how you feel about that and the, your well-being and how everything else has a, has a kind of domino or, or another uh, I love a sports related pun but, I, <laughs> but the, the like ripple effect of that isn't yeah. it in the water of yeah. how it impacts and I know you know there's a lot of and we'll get onto the transition in a second but in, you've touched on it already Hannah about your well-being and your wellness around some of those choices yeah. and changes that have, that have come along in your journey but there is this thing it's well documented that Olympians or athletes have a kind of post games blues if, if, yeah. if we call it that and how people manage their own I suppose I suppose predominantly their mental well-being but it might spill into physical and emotional um and spiritual for some people but how did you how did you kind of deal with that after Rio like if you're happy to share that and, mm -hmm. and um, how, how did it kind of I suppose yeah shape your your time after Rio um so I didn't do very well off the back of it as I said I just jumped straight back into training didn't give myself a break and then my body literally hit its breaking point and mm. a ligament just went ping in my ankle and I was basically swimming with a very painful ankle but there was nothing that could be proved that was wrong with it and then eventually they found that I'd frayed one of the ligaments in my ankle and I always live in swimming with my foot in that sort of permanent flex position and for me to have one of those ligaments just frayed and not able to support it you know it's very very sore and I you know it could be one of those things that injuries do happen wrong place wrong time but I do think it was my body's way of telling me that I'd not actually looked after myself physically and given myself a break. Because um, for the Olympics, it's a four-year cycle. You know, it's four years of building up the intensity. You've got your goal year on year with the pinnacle being at the Olympic Games. Mm. So you do need to take a break. And some athletes take, you know, two weeks to two months off um, just to get that mental refresh and physical refresh, excuse me, before they start again. And I didn't allow myself that. Um, and I'd hit uh, pretty much a breaking point, I think, in 2018. Um, I'd won a silver medal at the Commonwealth Games in 2018 and a bronze medal uh, at the European Championships. And I'd also just been kicked off funding as well from my national governing body. And I've actually found out that I'd been kicked off funding via Twitter as well. So. Oh, God. <laughs> It was a bit it was a bit brutal because I, you know, represented and served, you know, my country for 
15 plus years and then to then just be dropped without even a phone call to say thanks or you're not on funding or just you know something personal like that yeah. it left me in a really bad mental state and I was like I can't do this I, I don't want to continue I'm done I don't want to go to Tokyo this is it I've had enough um so I opted to get my um ankle surgically sorted um so I had surgery done to get that ligament removed and I thought this is great I can't go in the water for a little bit until you know the wound heals up and uh, I'll kind of take it from there and I was really looking forward to just some time away to sit still and I lasted 24 hours (laughs) (laughs) um and it actually was really quite good because I kind of thought right okay I can't get in and swim but I do want to stay active, but it's not going to be at the same intensity and full force. So what am I training for? Right. Well, I'm training to get my ankle back to where it was, but I want to try and a bit of, you know, physical fitness going because I don't want to lose what I've built up. Um, But I'm not going to the Olympics. I don't want to do that. I just want to, you know, just get myself back because ultimately I've done this for so long. I don't want to swim in pain. You know, I want to be able to swim pain free, whether I'm going to an Olympics or not, but I'm not going to the Olympics. Um, and then I thought, right, so cardio, I can't row because my foot, foot's in a big moon boot. I can't row. I can't spin. I can't run. So how am I going to do cardio? Who knew that actually a lot of our cardio stuff requires our legs <laughs> when you're not swimming? Um, so I realized that the ski erg, you know, the vertical. Oh, yeah. ski erg, so I got one of the plyo boxes, the plyometric jump boxes put that in front, sat down, pull the cords down, and then started doing, you know, a couple of VO2 max sets, basically just using my arms, my, my upper body. And I was able to get certain heart rates going into certain zones and worked on that way. And then I was actually quite enjoying that because I thought I've never done this before. Don't know if it's going to work, but you know what? It's keeping my brain occupied. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, zoning all the way in. I'm just trying something new. As long as I'm staying off my feet, it's fine. And then I actually ended up walking down or hobbling down onto poolside. And I kind of thought, I'm going to get shouted at here. I'm not going to go in the pool, but I don't want to lose the feel because you actually, for every three days, an athlete or swimmer that misses being in the water, it takes six weeks to regain that fitness lost. Um, So sometimes just being in the water and having that sensation of the water on your skin is just as important. So I actually just took my top off where I had my sports bra on and I lay flat on the uh, poolside and literally just dipped my upper body in the water. So I was just lying, hips on poolside, upper body in the water. And I was just Mm -hmm. sculling, not going anywhere because I'm obviously still attached to the wall, but just being in the water and just that sense of relief of actually being in the water reminded myself why I swam. And I actually asked myself that question, why do I swim? Before, it was because I wanted the medals, I wanted the records, I wanted to get better and faster. But now, I'm like, well, why do I want to swim just now? And for me, I wanted to swim because I wanted to be pain-free. And I wanted to be happy because ultimately I knew being in the water made me happy. And I wanted to find and regain that happiness. Um, So I slowly started rebuilding, you know, upper body, but also be mindful that doing so much upper body stuff I didn't want then my shoulders to fall off <laughs> so trying to get that balance so actually taking things back and being smarter with training um and actually taking pressure off because I'm now no longer on funding I'm not expected to go to these specific camps competitions have you know the weight of the world on my shoulders that if I didn't achieve this I'm going to be booted off and having to prove myself 
I could actually just go in and race and train the way that I wanted to, not how a governing body wants me to. And my first kind of tipping point was actually my first competition. I went abroad because I felt embarrassed to race in the UK because I thought I'm not, not going to be anywhere near the times that I normally do. I'm going to be really slow and I don't want people to assume and make comments and stuff. So I thought I'll hide. So I raced and I thought, I don't even want to look at my time, finish my race, touch the wall. And before turning around and looking at the scoreboard, I kind of said to myself, right, did I achieve doing fly kicks off the wall? You know, coming back from ankle surgery, I need to get that range back. And I was like, yes, I did. Did I breathe in the last 10 meters? No, I didn't. Then I turned and looked at the time. And actually, even though it was like 30 seconds slower than what I used to do, I was actually really happy and proud because I achieved two goals within that. And then the time was that outcome. So I started doing and using that a lot more in my racing. And there's actually a video um, of me at the British Championships in Glasgow in 2019, where I finished my swim, the camera guy's on top of like trying to film what I'm doing. And I'm tapping the, 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 <laughs> the timing pad, not looking at the scoreboard and actually talking to myself, asking myself, had I achieved like my two or three sort of process goals within my swim that's not time related mm. before looking at my time. Um, and for me, that really helped heal my mindset. It helped heal me physically because it took a lot of the pressure off and it allowed me to view my swimming in a completely different manner. And I felt renewed that, you know what? It's only one more year. I feel a lot happier. Let's try and see if we can make it to Tokyo. So I'd gone from not wanting to be anywhere near the water, pretty much packing it all in to then actually being like, you know what? What have I got to lose? <laughs> If I make it, great, it's going to be one hell of a story. If not, I'm not going to regret not trying. Um, so, yeah, coming off the back of sometimes Olympics and tough events can be brutal, but allowing myself a bit of patience, a bit of kindness, and actually just re-changing things. I didn't have to completely stop and change things hugely, but just allowing it to be shaped a little bit differently allowed me to kind of get back into where it was. And it actually reminded me that, you know, I'm not the same 16 year old that was racing back in 2006. You know, I was 28, 20, you know, 27 when I finished Rio, 28 when I was having my ankle surgery. You know, I've, I've had a lot of growth and development and I actually need to grow and develop my mindset as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that getting back in the water because actually you, you, you said at the very beginning of the episode about how being in the pool, like you felt at home. Mm-hmm. So what a beautiful thing to do. And I, I'm so glad when you said about it, it helped heal your mindset and you ultimately fall back in love with swimming. I, I assume yeah. that that's kind of yeah. how it sounded. But getting really clear on the why, you know, what, again, and you alluded to what it was like in, in business, but it's the same for all of us. You know, we can ask ourselves, why are we doing something? Um and it gives you that extra drive or spice for life, doesn't it? To actually yeah. go after something that often we can lose our way or it gets a bit cloudy or it becomes a bit unclear and uncertain at times. But asking ourselves the question is the right way to get it back. So, oh, I yeah. love that. Hannah, we've mentioned about the transition and obviously yeah. you've now retired from professional swimming. Is that how, is that the, yeah. So yeah. how, I mean, that is a massive change. Before we actually hit record on this, you were alluding to how, how you were coping with that and maybe the experience that it's been for you. We all go through transitions in our life, but I do, I look at a lot of professional athletes leaving their sport and I do have a lot of empathy, I suppose is the word, because I think 
for so long, like you said, 17 years swimming at that, that level, you know, a lot of people eat, breathe and play their sport. It's their life for so long. It's their identity. So how have you tackled the transition and, and how are you finding it? Yeah, it's been an interesting one. I, I kind of knew I was ready um, after the Tokyo Olympics. Um, I mean, that's another story in itself. I tried to go for my fourth Olympics, ended up having shoulder surgeries, which kind of ruled me out. But I kind of kept swimming, knowing I that's me done. I'd always thought, you know what, I'll finish after Tokyo. Uh, you know, I'll be 30 <laughs> um, once Tokyo's done. And for me, I felt, you know, I think it's a 30 year old, I kind of need to maybe start looking at leaving my bubble of swimming and start being a bit more adult. <laughs> um, but then obviously COVID had hit and then that kind of changed a lot of things. And um, yeah, and I ended up that I didn't go to Tokyo, but I now have a robust shoulder that I can now swim pain free and actually really enjoy it. But knowing that that was kind of the end was a real mix sort of emotions because ultimately I choose when I finished. Some athletes don't get to choose, you know, injury or circumstance can rule them out before they're finished. But I just knew when I raced my last 100 IM that I was ready to move on. And I was actually, it wasn't so much that I'm ready to stop. It was, I was ready to not have swimming as top priority. As I mentioned before, when I was going out with Ewan, you know, swimming took priority over Ewan. Whereas now I was like, you know, I'm ready for it not being in the number one position. I want it to be down at number three or number four. Mm. And that was when I thought, you know what, that's kind of the right way to do it. So signing off, I think first of December um, actually worked out quite nicely because I realized that was the very first time, uh, was it December, first of December, 2004, was the first time actually I won a medal at the Commonwealth Youth Games back in 2004. So it kind of, for me, felt like it came full circle. Mm. You know, it started with a 400 IM, finished with a 400 IM, and, um, you know, I got to finish on the day that I guess my career kind of started and kind of got off the ground a little bit. And I enjoyed like a honeymoon phase because I kind of felt like I have no free time. It's almost like I'm free. I can, don't have to go to bed at like half eight, nine o'clock and wake up at half four in the morning. I can go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and I can wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, those little things that might seem trivial, but for me were like really a big deal. Um, and then I don't have to monitor all that I eat. I can, you know, be a bit more flexible with stuff. And it was just great. I got to drive down and visit my grandma down in Birmingham, see some extended family who I wouldn't normally do. And it was nice having time and not being like, right, I'll spend time. However, I need to swim, you know, for two hours at some point during this visit. Um, and it was just like, I'm, you've got me for, you know, <laughs> however long you want me for. I'm not going to suddenly disappear and go to a pool um and then it, you know Christmas New Year and then I hit January and it was really hard um I felt so lost um I felt I lost a lot of drive I lost a lot of confidence as well um because as a swimmer you know I knew exactly where I needed to be who I was turning up on poolside I was always in my comfort zone whereas now because I didn't have that I was like well where do I fit in in the world um swimming's not one of those things other than going into swim teaching or swim coaching that can be kind of transferable and I didn't want to go into coaching because I felt that was too easy an option mm. something that I could always do and I'm happily you know could go into coaching at any point I'm not going to rule it out but I knew that 
I didn't want to jump into something so soon as that. I needed to figure out who Hannah the person was. Um, and I was really struggling to like find motivation to get up in the mornings because now the fact that I got to, you know, not have to get up at half four, it was now really difficult to actually now get up at eight. I thought oh, I could stay an extra half hour, well, another half hour. And then it was like my whole morning was gone. Um, so I was really struggling for that drive and motivation. And I think one of the things I found actually was because in swimming, I had the passion for it. And that passion gave me the drive, gave me the motivation. I knew in the summer that was what I was working towards. And I didn't have anything in the summer to work towards. So I had no passion and I had no drive. So it was like, what's the point? <laughs> um, so it was really, really difficult. And it is, it's almost like going through stages of grief. You know, I, you get angry with yourself because you suddenly start thinking, have I cut it off too soon? Should I, should I still swim? And should I, you know, get back in? Am I missing opportunities? um and then you get really upset with yourself you just hit like I wouldn't say depression because I don't want to self-diagnose but you know it's a it is it's not a nice place to be in and then you get um you know really sad and then you worry and you panic and then you deny that it's happening and you kind of feel like no I'll I'll jump back into a routine it'll be fine you're kind of almost in like denial and it oh it goes all over the shop um so I kind of started coming out of it April time uh, sorry April time February time and my um you and I had been engaged for five years and we kind of thought you know what let's just get married <laughs> let's just do it and actually having the wedding in the summer gave me something to look forward to um and it is it's just such a roller coaster trying to find my feet with things I I love being self-employed to a certain degree there's obviously pluses and minuses to it but the bit I quite liked was the flexibility of the timing um and finding out what I enjoyed because I knew that I enjoyed swimming but there were other things in my life that I enjoyed I realized that I enjoy actually building a relationship more with my mom and dad instead of them being a team manager and a coach I can now actually have them as mom and dad I have two lovely dogs who are my world and I actually owe a lot to them for getting me actually up and out and going for a walk because otherwise I think I would just sit and fester in the, the, the corner sofa and just not move but when you've got them, you know, you do it for them, not yourself. Um, it, you know, you, you get yourself out. You get this, yeah. <laughs> One whiff there just to make sure that she's she's known. Um, and, you you know, you make sure that you get yourself up for them. Um, and also my friends as well have been really helpful. And I find that talking has been hugely beneficial. Actually talking to people when things are a bit crap, when things are feeling awful and you don't know why. I felt like I needed a specific reason to feel the way that I was feeling and I couldn't explain it. And I felt, well, obviously it's a bit, it's, you know, I've kind of undermined what I was going through, but actually it was really important for me to talk about it and actually realize there were a lot of other athletes who had gone through the same thing and it was normal. And I think that validated what I was feeling. Um, so one of the key things I had realized was actually validating what I was feeling was okay um so yeah so it's, it's kind of getting there with some stuff and for me it's being able to go through that self-reflection that's been really helpful and really important um and one of the key bits that I did actually was write myself a letter and actually wrote myself a letter congratulating myself sounds very big-headed but actually appreciating what I had achieved because it was so easy to just be like oh it was just swimming doesn't mean anything it's not paying my bills it's not paying my mortgage um but actually appreciate what I had put through and what I'd gone through. 
um, and actually write down things that I was proud of, um, who was there to help me, and actually write some advice. And being able to go back and look at that letter really helps you just feel better. You know, actually really validate what you've done and what you've been through is actually worth it and really beneficial. And now I realize that I love being able to make an impact. I found a huge passion around female health and working to route towards uh, improvement on education around female health and especially female health in sport and in corporate as well. Um, bringing in awareness um, and, and you know creating a safe space that people can open up. So it's not just about women and those who menstruate, but also for the guys. Again, Ewan has been wonderful learning along with me and the way that we communicate now around my menstrual cycle he's fantastic and it's helped our relationship a lot better because he communicates with me a bit better um i love you know doing one-to-one -one swim clinics because ultimately swimming is my best degree um so i'm never going to leave it fully but it's just nice again going in with the puns just dipping my toe in every now and then because i know that i can um so i've been you know being brave and challenging myself and every time i challenge myself i've learned a little bit more about my own confidence and allowing myself to actually use some of my sporting tips that I would always, it feels a bit hypocritical, always offer advice to young kids and, you know, kind of go through the motions of, but actually now taking those tools and applying them. So if I was to face something that I was maybe a bit nervous about doing, I did some commentary work for the Commonwealth Games, never done anything like that before. And I thought, oh God, there's a lot of people listening. If I muck up, I'd, oh, you know, you kind of go through all the negatives. But by the end of it, I kind of did what I would do coming off the back of a competition. It would be one thing that went well, one thing that possibly didn't go well, and what can I improve on? Mm. And just the, I always think it's the one, one, and one, because it's very easy to go one good thing and then 12 negative things. <laughs> so just picking one and then what I can do to improve on actually was really, really beneficial. Um, and, I, and each time I do it, it's helped uh, build my confidence. So I'm slowly building it did go through a little bit of a dip as well off the back of the wedding um which again possibly is a little bit like you know post games blues um you know that event's now finished we also got covid <laughs> which oh. didn't help um so we were quite poorly and i just find lack of motivation and energy you know not so good but it, it's just being a bit kinder to myself and realizing that you know what there's no rush um you know there's there's a lot of simple plans forward like if i find financially okay, I'm really struggling here. This sort of self-employed stuff maybe isn't working. I can go into a work, but I can go into Tesco's or I can, you know, not, you know, any supermarket brand and ask for a job. So there are ways around it. It might not be what you want, but, you know, if you're really stuck with something, there are really straightforward ways that you could potentially do it. So it's not all is lost kind of feel. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it's just kind of just navigating my way through it and I heard that there's about a two-year processing period from when you're well I've also started to try and not use the word retire and use the word transition because retire feels very final mm. and transition actually feels more open in that you're transitioning on to the next chapter that you can continue on yeah um, and we actually go through a lot of transitions in our life without realizing it you know we transition from primary school into secondary school transition from secondary school into university moving away from home um there's lots of little mini transitions that we actually do go through so it kind of made me realize that you know yes this is a significant transition i'm going through but it's not the only one and actually i've dealt with it and been successful in it before so you know just give myself a bit of time and patience and you know it'll be all right in the end yeah 
Oh, Hannah, thank you for sharing so openly about that because that is, I suppose, it's something that you're still living and breathing and, like you say, navigating. So it's probably quite fresh and raw for you. So thank you for sharing. But I love that that you wrote a letter to yourself and just reminded yourself of of your journey and the, I suppose the the successes that you did have or the, the like you said the impact and the legacy that you left behind you um because we we're so quick to be hard on ourselves like you know and, and some people might be listening and thinking oh as a professional athlete surely you've got that all nailed but actually we, we all go through it don't we we all go through highs and lows we all have to navigate um things that maybe don't go our way and learn from it and you know so yeah I, I just absolutely love that you've shared some really good top tips and there's been loads of golden nuggets throughout that whole uh conversation but if if people were listening and thinking right I've got dreams that I've just I feel like now is the time that I want to go and chase them what would be your top tip to those people Hannah um I'd certainly write down I think when you write down uh what you want to achieve it kind of it's like an affirmation of this is what I'm going for um but also you know, maybe I've used it for transition, but maybe use it for, you know, what you would say to yourself in the future, you know, write maybe a letter about, right, this is the dream, this is the ambition. How are you going to manage it? Who's going to help you? How do you, you know, how long do you see it's going to take you to get there? Maybe write it down so that you can think about it a bit more clearly and actually the process for it. Um, when it comes to, you know, goal setting um, for, you know, reaching these dreams, everyone's kind of got like timelines for it, but be mindful that sometimes time, I mean, I didn't know that my career was going to take 17 years and I dreamed of winning that Olympic medal, but actually, you know, I've been successful probably more so than had I won that medal. Does that make sense? No, <laughs> I found more success than had I just won an Olympic medal for me, my journey to that point actually of that fourth place was a lot more varied and a lot more memorable because I've got so many stories um, so if you've got a drive, having that passion behind it is so, so important. But days when that passion drops, whether it's through frustration or whether it's not going your way, you can always call back on that letter that reminded you of where that passion and drive started from. Um, and I think the main thing, and it does sound very cliche, is be patient and kind to yourself with it. Um, you know, and be careful of the words that you say to yourself because you're listening um and that was actually given uh my um management company red sky uh rona shepherd actually had given me you know a great bit of advice off the back of rio and she did say was be careful of what you're saying to yourself because you're listening because if you're saying all these negative things you're taking all of that on you know imagine if you said all those negative things to someone face to face mm. you know it's not nice <laughs> so why why should you say them to yourself um so you know it, how you speak to yourself is actually really really impactful and quite powerful so be kind to yourself uh, and be patient um it's not going to happen overnight and those dreams and desires and goals are really great to have because it gives you that passion that motivation and drive whether it happens in a year whether it happens in 10 years but always remember why you wanted to start that journey in the first place Oh, what a way to end it. Hannah, thank you so much for, for your time and for your honest and vulnerable sharing and your wisdom and experience. I've um, yeah, really loved this episode and yeah, hope everyone else has enjoyed it. Thank you very much. 
thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast so that next week you can join us again.